0: this is Sophia
1: and this is Natasha
0: and welcome to another episode of Winter's Blooms Talk
1: which is an extension of our website Winter's Bloom. Hello this is our very first episode of um, Winter's Blooms Talks um, and before we get into the topic that we really want to talk about, which is um, the topic of coronavirus, we just wanted to introduce ourselves and talk a little bit about uh, what Winter's Bloom is about um, and how we want it to grow. So, um, Sophia, do you want to do you want to start a little bit of how Winter's Bloom came to be?
0: Okay. Um, I guess it kind of started its journey. I don't know I would say probably not like well my first year of university Natasha's um, third year where she was studying abroad in Scotland Um, that's when we where we met and how we became friends and I feel that the essence of Winter's Blooms was very much captured in our conversations that we would have um, during that period of time when we were together and becoming friends and our friendship was growing. So I feel like that is the very root of it. Um, and over the years, I feel like it's grown and manifested itself in different ways through the poetry that we've written. Um, we have two collections of poems, The Snake and the Cuttlefish and The Tender Places of Ward Out Fibers, which are both available on Amazon. So yeah, I feel like Winter's Bloom is has been an evolving journey of just conversations that <laughs> we've been having for years. <laughs> what would you say? That's like true. where it came from for you or how do you think it, it came to be in your eyes?
1: Yeah, I feel like it's pretty similar. I think it's one of those things where now looking back, now that we have this joint website and this place for conversation, it seems like it was inevitable for it to happen. Mm. Um, but obviously at the time when we first met, it's not we didn't have this as a goal. Um, But I think that's, that's what we want Winter's Bloom to embody through a website or internet platform is just the fact that we were able, I think from the beginning when we met, I felt pretty safe to bring up different topics with you and all of our conversation like we talked about so many different things silly things and not (laughs) so silly things um and even even when we ended up disagreeing with each other and I think that was that's been a really important part of our friendship and now part of our um of our website but yeah
0: (laughs) yeah and what would you say I guess your vision is for winter's bloom growing forward like how do you want it to grow
1: Oh yeah. Um I I feel well, I think I would really like uh Winters Bloom to well, I, I definitely want it to be to have a little bit more engagement from um the people who read our stuff or listen to our podcast. I think we've we've mm-hmm. had a really good um submission turnout. I think we've had a, a few submissions that have been really really awesome um but it would be cool to actually have that be more of an active conversation through comments or even just email questions or if we will end up wanting to have people on a podcast that would be great that would be that's like one of my goals moving forward um but yeah what about you
0: yeah just what you were saying um about having active engagement I think about that sometimes as well just in relation to university and just reading articles and stuff and I feel like we as a society have been really well trained to like read information and to take it in and just like to summarize what people's like other people's opinions and thoughts are, but not necessarily not necessarily to reflect on where we stand in relation to like these conversations, whether that's like in um academia or just, you know, like everyday life, especially with like the news and the media, I feel like we just tend to just take in what we've been told and internalize that as our own opinions without reflecting on it critically. So I definitely agree with that, that I'd like to have a lot more engagement um, and to foster that space, like you were saying, where we can have respectful disagreement. I think also I would like it as, as nice as it is now that in a way we're able to also stay connected um, through this extra platform that we have and, the way that Winter's Bloom is able to also have a really international reach, I think it would be really cool to also give it a local feel. Um, And I think we've briefly spoken about this, about um, doing like conferences or workshops or, I don't know, creating like physical spaces where Winter's Bloom can have conversations as well. That's something I'd really like to do in the future.
1: Yeah, you know, that's so true. I think it's one of those things where... um, I feel that technology is very good at keeping people in touch. And we've had these conversations before, Mm -hmm. but there is something about that physical space. And especially when you can actually get together and see other people who have the same opinions or different opinions from you and, and get together and physically talk. And I think, yeah, I think that that's definitely something to keep on our radar for the future because it would be really great to just, you know, even just the people that we've heard from through submissions or, um directly or whatever it's been really interesting to chat with people about what we're doing um and what their opinions are and stuff so yeah I think that's a really good goal for us to have
0: yeah we'll see how see how it goes really see what journey it takes
1: (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly um I also just wanted to take a quick minute too I know you mentioned uh both of our books Mm -hmm. um but yeah I I just wanted to ask um you know, looking back on both of our books, do you have i don't I don't exactly know what my question is, but like how would you if you had only a few sentences to describe each of them, what would that be?
0: Oh, I like that question <laughs> I think like the first word that popped into my mind um for the snake and the cuttlefish is definitely experimental because I feel like that well for me that was the first time that I actively like thought about putting together different pieces of poetry and i think because and i I feel like we're still both you know like experimenting and seeing what kinds of styles we like or you know just finding ourselves in our writing but definitely i feel like the snake and the cuttlefish has so many different styles of writing so many different um topics that we touch upon it almost works because of the mish mish, uh, mish mash, mash. what am I trying to say? <laughs> but like <laughs> the mix of different things I think is what makes it work in a weird way. Um so yeah, definitely experimental. Um what else? How else did I describe the snake and carfish Um <laughs> like undulating. I feel like there are Oh I like that. Really, really Yeah, like joyous moments. Um and then harder moments more difficult moments as well that are captured in it um uh, how about you while I think of (laughs) what how I would describe them tender the tender (laughs) cases of walnut fiber how would you describe it or the snake and the cuttlefish yeah I think
1: (laughs) so I think the snake and the cuttlefish when I look back I think yeah I feel like we were so excited to get our words out into the world. And I think that mm. has its benefits and its downsides. Um, but I think, you know, also it was our very first book, and we just really wanted to get that out there. And so I'm very proud of what we did. Um yeah. and I think it was also it was also a really big learning curve for both of us. Um and yeah, so I, I'm really proud of that book and really excited about all the content that's in it. Um, I realize it doesn't really answer the question. I guess, yeah, I think the the way that we set it up and the way that we wanted it to, you know, in terms of structure and content wise, um, was that it was going to go from the light into the darkness and back into the light. Um, Yeah. And that imagery has always stuck with me. So I think that's the main way that I would describe that one is that there can be some heavy topics, but... I don't know, to me, it kind of reminds me of my process with more emotional moments is that I know inevitably that it's a cycle and that even when I'm feeling a little bit more down or overwhelmed or something, that it will cycle back up towards lighter emotions. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I feel like both the content and the structure were very personal. Um. So that's how I would describe that one, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like that um tender places of worn out fiber um I feel like I don't know this one I almost imagine like the first thing that came to my mind was like a body and it's like the different Mm. sections that we have is or are different parts of the body Even though it's not like it has, there are no like body references to the way that we structured it. But I just thought of like yeah, (laughs) arms and then like the legs because I feel like the way it's split into nature um, existing, and then I think love letters to ourselves and things I wish I could say to others or like love letters to others are all in a way interconnected and related. Um, So I just imagine it being like a body. And those are like different limbs of the body. Yeah.
1: I like that imagery. I had never thought about <laughs> that, but that's really beautiful.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I think I definitely think the tender fiber or tender places of worn out
0: fibers. Oh my god, a kidding. It's, it's a t- <laughs> I, title. yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah um but yeah I feel like we we kind of knew the drill and we were more organized remember we spent that okay so when winter's bloom started that same weekend we saw each other for a weekend and that same weekend we finished the manuscript right was that the weekend yeah. that we did it
0: oh, yeah
1: yeah oh I my gosh so we set it. up winter's really bloom and no Yeah I know me too it was crazy like it went by so quickly because we were just working so hard but it was it was very rewarding um but yeah I think we kind of knew what we needed to do and that was yeah that was awesome but yeah I like I, I do kind of like the four chapters that we had in that one and I think that was also a really good way moving into it to organize our thoughts in terms of what content we wanted to include and stuff um but yeah, I think I think what I think of the content for The Tender Places of Worn Out Fibers, it, it's kind of all in the title for me. And I think because so the way that we came up with the title is we were going through our poems and just looking at little excerpts from each of our poems. And so that's actually a mishmash of uh, two of our little bits Um which I think is kind of cool, and also yeah. we we didn't say who wrote which poem in this one as well, right?
0: yeah, we did I forgot
1: <laughs> okay cool, yeah, so I feel I feel like that's kind of an embodiment of what we're going for in our joint books, because I don't know i feel I feel like okay, sorry, there's lots of thoughts going in my head, but basically, I have this belief that all works of fiction all works of verse or anything that we come up with is not original it's all been cycled mm-hmm. through before um and so to claim uniqueness or originality is kind of a construct yeah. but so I feel that by by not naming who wrote which one I think that that's um that's a good way to kind of remind ourselves and maybe our readers and other people that it's not they're not our words they're words that have cycled through us and I think we're very um lucky to have each other and to have similar voices but also different voices um anyway I'm rambling but yeah no I really like that
0: idea and yeah no I just wanted to add to that as well I guess it to me is a reminder of of the like how do I word this I guess that where one person where the self ends and like the next person begins is really there's like not a distinction if that makes sense or there is a distinction but it's one that i guess is more superficially made by like giving your name to something or like it kind of um asserting your individuality i think is really a, a human a human construct or i don't know like a our age construct I guess our time construct so I think that we don't label things or label things like whatever attribute our names to certain poems it's just a reminder that the self and other selves are much closer and interconnected than perhaps we sometimes think or um manifest ourselves to be so yeah I like that
1: yeah, and I agree with that. And it, and you know, adding on to that a little bit too, it's been kind of interesting. Um, some people who have read our books or our pieces ask me, Oh, who wrote this one or who wrote that one? And it's been a really fun practice because whether they've been talking about yours or mine, I've wanted yeah. to almost like give that recognition and be like, Oh, like there's been a few times where I've been like, Oh, I wanted to say that it was yours or something, um, or that it was yeah. mine, but it's been a really it's been a really good practice at being oh well you know explaining why we're being anonymous and I I feel like it's kind of been a little bit humbling too to be like oh someone really likes either mine or Sophia's piece but it's ours you know it's our work that we've put together so yeah anyway (laughs)
0: yeah no I like Uh, that I like that
1: so is there anything else that you wanted to mention in part one before we move on
0: No, I feel like we covered it. We covered, yeah, everything quite well.
1: Okay, cool. Um, Okay, so now we're going to move on to the second part of this um, pilot podcast. Um, Recently, we published an article, uh, a guest article submission um, called We Need to Fight Racist Virus Along with Coronavirus, written by Yufan Xia. And this is a very popular topic in the news and in the media and stuff right now, obviously, because it's, you know, it has to deal with human health. Um, But Sophia, do you want to give us a little insight into how and or why we wanted to cover this issue on Winter's Bloom?
0: Yeah, so um, I remember we actually discussed this um, like over voice notes. of how or what, not how why I guess and also um, I felt that it was really important to talk about this. Um, so like so up to this point, I feel like the articles we had been posting on Winter's Bloom had been very much um, reflective, reflexive, refle? <laughs> sorry, reflective <laughs> pieces, um, or like opinion pieces or. I guess stuff to do more with like the inner workings of life um, in terms of like soul identity and that kind of stuff. And I feel like something as fundamentally important and something that is going to definitely shape at least the next couple of years of our, of our collective history um, or something that we just couldn't, you know, like ignore. But on top of that, what really made me want to write a piece um, and explore the topic more was that I was going to um, a lecture or a tutorial at university, and one of my um, tutors is Chinese. And this was, like, maybe a day or two... um, into you know like everyone talking about coronavirus and she, already she was just like oh she looked very like tired and just exasperated and I you know asked her what was up and she was just saying how she just spent like the last hour on twitter um replying or yeah i think replying to like racist comments or just discriminatory comments um about the situation and it was just crazy how to me how quickly, the discourse just became very racist. Um, And I just felt like that was something that we needed to address and to explore further. And I think Yifan does such a, like, such a, she accomplishes such a delicate task of giving her own views, um, maintaining, like, objectivity, but also really breaking down how... The discussion has been carried out in the media um in terms of both like the physical virus and the racism and how those two things have become really intertwined so I guess for me that was like yeah the main reasons why I thought it was really really important that we do cover it on Winter's Bloom and have a kind of conversation to counter the racist sentiments that have been spread
1: yeah, I, I agree with you. I think she does a really good job of um, showing the interrelatedness and complexity of this, of this outbreak and of the response to it, um, you know, because she does talk about um, in her article about the role the Chinese government plays and even the diversity in reactions of Chinese people um, yeah. towards how the government has handled this. Um, and yeah, so I think it's really interesting because she does give us like a really good um, perspective that's that's much closer, I think, than you and I. Like we we can see the response that's happening, but yeah, yeah. Cause it was interesting. I remember when you first brought it up with me. Um, I had I had been following it too, and and some of my friends uh, through Facebook or other social media outlets had been posting different articles about it. Um, and yeah, it it's just, it's very much opened up an interesting conversation. Um, and because I think, you know, I remember when you first brought up the idea of writing an article like this. Um, I remember talking to my sister about it and she studied epidemiology in school and she was saying, you know, oh, well, this was still in the early days and she was like i am not 100 percent convinced that it's all a racist response because what she was saying is that um when you know epidemiologists like it's very it's very much a, a science and so when you study it you study where did it come from where did it originate from how is it spreading you're looking for patterns trying to understand the actual virus um and so you know, she was saying how it did originate in China. So to say that, um, you know, to say that it was, you know, that there are people who have it who are Chinese is not necessarily, like, a racist thing. But when I, like, obviously now it's spread so much and it's all over, you know, it's in the Middle East, it's in Italy, it's in the U.S. now. I don't know if it's reached the U.K. yet, but... um, the response is still overwhelmingly negative towards not even just Chinese people, but like remotely Asian looking people. And so I yeah. think now it's pretty safe to say that it's been racialized and profiled. Um, and, you know, yeah, it's just, it's kind of a mess. It's crazy.
0: It is. Yeah, one of my colleagues actually yesterday at work was telling me um, that he was like on the tube and there was a lady um, who, I don't know if she was Chinese, but again, um, Asian, and she had a mask on. And he was like, it was, you know, like kind of rush hour time. Um, and there was, it was packed. And there were like three seats on either side of her that were completely empty. Um, and if you are are a Londoner or have been to London during rush hour, you know that those tubes, you are literally like sardines in a tin and to have that amount of space, I think is or was like a really loud and clear message of people's mentality and the way they're approaching the situation, um, which is just has been quite disheartening as well. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, that's crazy. You know, and that's also something that bears mentioning too is that. Um, You know, I think you mentioned this as well when we were talking about it earlier, but, um, you know, it's it's also kind of a cultural difference, too, because in, Mm -hmm. you know, in lots of parts of Asia or in Asian communities, you wear the face mask um, as a preventative measure, whereas in Western or like, you know, in the US, I don't know if it's the same as in the UK, but a lot of Americans will only wear the face mask when they are sick. Um, so there's a slight difference in that strategy. And so there's almost like a clash of cultures happening right now where everyone is up, you know, there's the high alert, anxious and stuff. And, and when these Western societies, although I'm trying not to use that word based <laughs> on our, our article, but anyway, yeah. when people in the US or people who don't have that, that link to wearing the face mask as a preventative measure because they're on such high alert now when they see people wearing it they apply their own context to it and mm. um and I think that those are subtleties that people don't exactly understand um which yeah leads to frustrating outcomes
0: <laughs> yeah I also um I guess kind of going back to Ethan's um article I also feel like a lots- like the, the way that people are reacting to it has a lot to do with the international imagining of China and just, you know, history, like the history of the discourse of how China has been like portrayed um, by various different um, societies in the Western part of the world. They're like news outlets and stuff. Um, and when I think of China from like the perspective of what I see in like British media you know it's it is like as Ethan describes this kind of like major um economic power but also this kind of like hungry um very like incitatable society where almost it's like oh yeah of course you would e- expect this of like the Chinese government they don't care about their people this and that kind of thing um and I feel like Part of the discourse isn't you know that there was stimulus for it before It's not like this has just cropped up with um the outbreak of coronavirus, but rather it's just given people who have these i guess racist views the fuel to act on it or to spread it more
1: yeah you know that's that's kind of the moral i've taken from this as well is that I feel that coronavirus has almost given people an excuse to act outwardly racist where mm. originally they they probably would have been a little bit more subtle about that. Yeah. Um and you know, it's like one thing that I find really frustrating too, and I think it bears mentioning here that in our um podcast bio we'll have a few links for you guys to read. Um but one thing that I find really frustrating about this, at least in the US, um, is um so our family kind of has a habit of listening and reading um, perspectives from all different parts of the political spectrum. So, um, you know, because I think it's very important to be informed by liberal, progressive and conservative media, just so that you know what everyone is saying. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, so we were watching this piece on um, Fox News, which is a pretty uh, conservative uh, media outlet in the U.S., Um, and there was a clip of this guy. I wrote his name down and I'll put the link to the clip in here in the bio, but, um, okay. I actually didn't write his name. down. Oh yeah. John Meacham, who is a historian. Um, he, he mentioned on this interview that, um, while he does, he is nervous about the, the physical health aspect of the coronavirus. He's particularly anxious about how the coronavirus might impact xenophobia um, worldwide. And I don't know, I just got so frustrated at this whole debate in general about whether coronavirus is racist or not, because clearly it is. You know, there, and again, we'll have all these links in the bio, but people of Asian descent or heritage worldwide are getting blamed and getting physically attacked and all this stuff. Like, it's a fact that people are responding to this outbreak in a racist manner. Mm -hmm. And the fact that people on all different sides of the political spectrum are debating about whether it is racist or not, I feel like is a waste of breath and a waste of space and is preventing us from actually addressing the issue of coronavirus and also the issue of racism that is very real and is being felt by people worldwide. And it just, I don't know, this this um, video clip just made me feel, you know, it just made me feel really frustrated towards progressives and liberals. Because I feel like they they don't actually care about the coronavirus or about the racism of the coronavirus. They just want to gain votes. You know, they're just pandering towards the liberal crowd and I know I'm really cynical right now because we're about to have an election and there's so much aggressive pandering and and commercials and stuff so I know I'm coming from a very biased and um frustrated place so I might not be feeling these things in a few months but I just I feel like it's gotten out of control
0: yeah I 100% agree um and it's just become yeah very like politicized as well um in so many different ways even like here I guess in the UK we've had like this ongoing debate um for like years or basically since the Tories have been in power that you know like the NHS is able to do its job um and like the crisis of the NHS which is basically a national the national health service for the UK which um provides free healthcare to um UK and EU citizens and I think actually but I'm not 100% sure I think basically anyone who is like residing in the UK has the right to access this public health service yeah pretty much as long as you have like a permanent resident here Um, and like for years now the Tories have been slowly like pulling out money um, out of funding for it so that it seems like the system is failing but it's just severely underfunded and yeah, there's there've been like some articles I've come across, which is also using the coronavirus in this like politicised way to also criticise like the NHS. And it's just literally been appropriated, I almost feel, for so many different purposes or like other agendas that people have um, that I don't feel like you said that we're focusing on what we can actually do to control the situation and to ensure that you know like where we're going to be going forward because at the end of the day this is a hygiene issue which isn't specific to like one culture um or even to just this incident this in um this case yeah it's something that we've like experienced in the past of like bird flu um and whatever kind of flus and viruses that we've been experiencing since the beginning of time um but I just feel like all of that is just being detracted from through everyone else's agendas.
1: Yeah, it's it's frustrating that that happens. And, you know, I think, it, hap- it you know, obviously it happens much more than just for the coronavirus. Like, it happens all the time. And and that's, like, I just feel that it just creates so much noise. Like, I think in the face of this coronavirus, what we really need to be focusing on are the health of the people with it and how to, you know, the, the scientific epidemiologists, point of view where it's like how do we stop this from spreading, how do we help the people who have it? And we also equally need to be um thinking about how do we how do we like model or I don't know how do we prevent this aggressively racist response. Um because yeah, I don't know, I just it's just one of those things and I know that well, I don't know this, but I feel that it's so hard when, you know, when it's it's not well, I don't know. Okay, sorry, lots of thoughts. Um I feel, and I don't necessarily have anything to back this up with, but I feel that, you know, like we mentioned before, that there are people who are already racist who are using the coronavirus as a means to publicly express their racism. And how do we combat that kind of thing? You know, like, how do we address that kind of thing? I think part of it is I remember uh, seeing on some social media site, it wasn't about the coronavirus, but it was something about like how to... Oh, I think it was actually towards Islamophobia in the U.S. And they were saying how like if you see that happening, if you see someone getting attacked, like how you can be a good ally to that person. Um, And, you know, maybe it's something just like spreading that message in the coronavirus context and helping people to realize. Because, you know, sometimes you're in those situations and someone is being horribly racist or violent towards someone and you don't know what to do. and I mean that could be helpful. I don't know. I'm just rambling. I'm kind of going on different tangents. But yeah, I just feel like we need to prior or understand what our priorities are in terms of this coronavirus and just block out all the politicized noise because people have so many different motivations for why they're talking about it's just another trend. That's what it is. It's so frustrating. It's another trend that people are trying to capitalize off of. You know, like yeah. if it if it were if there were some way of making money out of this. I bet you, you know, like H&M would have a commercial about the coronavirus or something. Like, I know that's kind of cynical and probably wouldn't no. happen, but you know what I'm yeah. like?
0: I was, oh. Yeah, like, never say never, actually. You don't know, man. Like, especially, <laughs> can you just imagine, I, I'm already seeing it now, like, Christmas time, and this is still going on, and there'll be, like, a charity song for it or something. You know, and someone will get some platinum album from singing about saving more kids <laughs> in... <laughs> you know like it's the same thing like saving the poor kids in Africa from like drought or whatever um there's always a way to make money and people suffering seriously which is very cynical but yeah. slightly true there's like some <laughs> slight truth in it I think um yes yeah, so just going as you were saying as well um about um being an ally I just thought as well um going back to Ethan's piece about the I guess <laughs> the Western Savior Complex, <laughs> as much as like the White Savior Complex, um, and how she talks about how, um, or she writes about rather how, you know, we shouldn't see the everyday Chinese person as just like a passive subject that's like doing nothing and it's just waiting for some miracle drug to be made in America and then dispensed to like the rest of the world, um, which I think has become really easy in this discourse, um, to like just shift the kind of I don't know, like all the effort to like America or the West as the epicenters of like all these medical or like uh, pharmaceutical companies are like working day in, day night, day in and day out to um find the cure and like all the action is happening on like our side of the world. Um and I think that's just something that's really interesting, which she raises as well. Um because like speaking to just like average like just different people like friends acquaintances um like the customers I serve at work everyone and even myself I guess to a certain extent just has this whole kind of like narrow view that the cure is going to be found here like in Europe or in America and like we're just waiting for like someone to find it you know um and just kind of discrediting the everyday efforts that people are making to try the best to like deal with the situation.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm really glad that she went into that, into her piece and about how there is that perception of Chinese people both um abroad and in China. Um yeah, because there is there definitely is just like this view of China in the media that's perpetuated everywhere in the US. That's the context I'm most familiar with. But yeah, it's just it's a frustrating thing. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's stereotypes and it's this view of what we expect um, of someone or a group of people who are different from us. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's a whole other bag of worms to tackle. I don't know how we, yeah. how we unpack that and unbreak that. I mean, I think that's going to be something that happens over a few generations, you know, cause it's almost like shifting the way that we view things and oh my gosh, okay, wait, I need to mention this here. It doesn't exactly relate to coronavirus, but um, yeah. I was listening to this podcast recently called Books and Boba and every, the middle of every month they do like a book news thing. And um, one of the pieces of news, which was pretty alarming that they talked about is they said that Barnes and Noble had this whole diversity campaign where they created new artwork covers for um, classic works of literature like Frankenstein or um, Pride and Prejudice, stuff like that. Mm. But with, like, the artwork was featuring people of color. And it was just such a flop because at the end of the day, the content is still written by, you know, typically white men, maybe a few white women in there. But it it was just so shocking that like, I don't know, I feel like there was no thought into it. Anyway, the way that it relates is one of the covers, what was, oh, I think for Dr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde, the cover that they had on it was like, it was almost very oriental in the decoration. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where when you first see it, yeah, exactly. When you first see it, you're like, oh, wow, here's this book that, you know, might, might have other other perspectives like asian perspectives or something and then you pick it up and it's dr jekyll and dr hyde and they're basically using i don't know oriental asian like ornamentation to it's like a bait and switch you know like anyway i this is definitely off topic but it just it's one of those things where i feel like there's still this perception and i guess it's kind of straying into the realm of uh, cultural appropriation whatever that means and we don't have to get into that because that could be a whole other discussion yeah. but it's one of those things where like you know that because there's this perception that's built up in the U.S. or in the U.K. or wherever of cultures that are different from ours it's just like it just kept keeps getting reaffirmed in our mentality and like and subtle stuff like the decoration on a book jacket or in the ways that we describe Chinese people and the coronavirus it's just anyway that was a big ramble but (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) Um, another thing I wanted to mention or just touch upon was Italy's response to coronavirus Um, again I feel like just drawing on Ethan's piece um, to do or like I guess kind of adding to it um, how she talks about the two strands of like the virus and also the racism that accompanies it it just reminds me of. Like the language that I guess international media uses to describe, you know, like terrorism or like immigration is like a cancer or like, again, a virus that needs to be like cut out or just stopped or whatever, cured. Um, and yeah, I feel like all those different strands just sadly come together in the, the whole way that Italy has been managing The coronavirus um which has mainly been to shut down a whole load of hospitals in um some of the northern parts of Italy and like Lombardy especially especially and when I heard that I was sadly like not at all surprised um it literally just reminded me of like what was it, maybe a year or two ago now when Salvini decided to just close the ports to all the immigrants that were travelling to Italy by boat on the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, it's just so frustrating that that is literally the way the Italian government is choosing to respond to this whole situation is just to, like, ignore, literally just ignore the situation. And it's really frustrating because they oh, I, I just i don't even know how to put it into words i'm so like frustrated but i think in their minds it's just like if the problem doesn't exist or if it, if it's not quantifiable it doesn't exist like salvini and again this is going slightly off topic but I'll try and bring it back but um salvini recently conducted like um a census of some sort um to prove that his strategies of closing the ports has decreased the amount of deaths in the Mediterranean. And like, obviously it hasn't the same amount of people are still traveling. They're just not being counted. Um, And so like now Italy is out of this crisis of immigration or this immigration crisis, sorry, because people aren't physically landing on the Italian soil. So technically it's just like not that issue. And I feel like this is exactly the same approach they're taking to coronavirus as well, where it's just like, well if people aren't being registered in hospitals having it then like it's just it's not an issue is it when clearly it is um so yeah that's just that I, 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 this doesn't really add much to the conversation it's just very frustrating um
1: no I think I think it does that's crazy I, I was gonna ask you while you were saying that and I don't know if you would know but or maybe it's just exactly what you're saying but how do they expect to treat the people with coronavirus if they've closed all the hospitals
0: literally the only thing from what i've read that they're doing is they're testing people who are coming into like so like in milan airport specifically i don't know if it's like across italy um they're testing people who are coming from abroad into like milan if if they have like coronavirus and i don't even know how they're doing that because from what We've at least been told um at least in the u k is that it can take up to like fourteen days for you to even have the symptoms um but that seems to be like the only control system or like structure at the moment from what I've read that they have set up <laughs> I don't know to be honest that's
1: crazy that's a
0: though I know oh my. God quite low expectations of the Italian government in these days Um, (laughs) but yeah again that could be a whole other kind of
1: well thank you for sharing that perspective like that's that's really interesting and I think important to talk about and also glad that you're not heading to Milan anytime soon
0: (laughs) no my mom would not allow it she would not be happy also that's (laughs) another thing though as well it's been weird in terms of people coming in from Italy um there was like a video released by like this journalist who was in Italy and then was traveling back from Milan in like Heathrow. Um, and he was showing, but again, I kind of, I'm of like two minds, but anyway, I guess let me just explain what the the video was first. Um, so he was just showing that, you know, people were just curious freely, no one asked them questions about where they had been in Milan, about their symptoms, this and that. And in a way I was kind of like, Oh yeah, that is really scary. There is like no... Real system in place to like ensure that the spread like it, that were were're we're curtailing the spread as much as possible, but at the same time, I'm like, what can you actually really do you know like if you if they're not if they don't have the symptoms yet or I don't know it's like it's just so difficult i feel i feel like that was just like very it became I, for me that really encapsulated how difficult this whole situation is and how difficult it is to contain it. At the same time, how easy it is to, like, manipulate this, to manipulate perspectives and just make it seem very one-dimensional. Like, oh, like, the British authorities aren't willing to invest money to, like, have doctors or whatever standing at the terminals to, like, examine each and every person that comes through. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that.
1: Yeah, no, but I think that is an interesting thing because, you know... It- when we are just hearing about the coronavirus through you know the news and through social media or whatever i think it's so easy as with many things to feel distanced from it and even though it's now come to the us and i think there's been a few documented cases of it here um it still feels like something that is not affecting me personally day to day and you know knock on wood that won't happen um but it's so easy to to like think about it as something else, like something happening elsewhere. Um, and, you know, obviously it is, it is a serious thing. Um, but part of me, for whatever reason, you remember, I don't know if this happened in the UK as well, but do you remember the swine flu a few years ago? Yeah. Where everyone was freaking out and, and the swine like, oh, like flu I as wondered. well,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, I, I mean, obviously it impacted people and I'm not trying to minimize that. Um, but it's one of those things where you know, yeah, a few years later, whatever five, ten years later, we it's just a distant memory in our mind, and I feel that people just have such high emotions, it's you know people are freaking out, and it's so much easier to fall into, yeah, I don't know, I don't actually know if I just responded to what you
0: said, no, I think he did, and again, just going back kind of to the whole um politicizing. The coronavirus, I feel like especially in the UK with like Brexit and stuff, um, although I still do get like updates about Brexit every once in a while, definitely coronavirus has kind of taken away um, the focus on Brexit. And I think politicians are, of course, using this to their advantage. Like there's so much happening behind the scenes, but the way that the media just almost sensationalises certain aspects of news and also like zooms in and exaggerates them and distorts them makes me almost a bit reluctant like I know it's serious but sometimes I just I question like how serious and how much do they actually know you know that and by them I mean I guess like the government and also these pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies how much do they know that they're not telling us I feel like they're only telling us what they want us to hear for a certain effect um again that's quite cynical and slightly what's the word conspiracy theory <laughs> based. but I don't know man
1: no but I I 100% agree with you I think that's definitely within the realm of possibility I tend to be very cynical of the government and of politicians and of all the noise that surrounds big things like this like I think I think it's definitely possible and, it, and it's also possible that it's being used to distract us from what's really going on in our respective countries yeah. Um, but yeah I think we are approaching time um, mm-hmm. I was wondering if you had any last thoughts about how winter's bloom started and or the coronavirus thing that we've been talking about.
0: I guess my concluding remarks to do with the whole, um, coronavirus discussion would just be to, like you were saying, I really like the fact that your family reads different news sources, um, to not like listen just to one single voice and to also, and I guess it also goes back to the whole, yeah. Like LinkedIn with winter bloom to make your own, Informed decisions and reflections and opinions on things, and not just absorb information, because I think we're very good at absorbing information, but not very good at being critical with it or choosing what we decide to, you know, um, take as truth or to look into further. So, yeah, I think with both the coronavirus and also what we're hopefully trying to embody and encourage more at Winter's Blooms is just to be more critical with everything um that we're fed and that we're given to take in thank
1: you for those wide words wise words um I 100% agree with you and um yeah just like on um our website and now through our podcast we'd love to hear um any input um opinions or perspectives that you had about our discussion or about um ifan's piece which is again titled we need to fight racist virus along with coronavirus um and i think this is a good place to give a really big thank you and shout out to ifan for contributing that piece to our website um it was very insightful so thank you so much for that um yeah and i guess with that we'll sign off here Um, We'll have links to our website and to our books, along with links to some articles about coronavirus uh, in our um, bio. So keep an eye out for that. And um, yeah, until next time. Thanks for
0: listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. (laughs)
1: Before fully signing off, I just wanted to take this last minute to acknowledge Yifan Shah for her wonderful perspective on the coronavirus. Her article can be found on our website with links in our bio. Um, And also to give a huge shout out and thank you to Emiko, who is a West London-based singer-songwriter. He's provided the music, the theme music for our podcast, and it's his song called Pride. He's very talented. Check him out on Spotify. Um, And with that, we'll leave you until next time. Thank you.